welcome to Are We Podcast Yet? Uh, we took a long sabbatical, but um, we're back uh, with a with an awesome guest today. Uh, and uh, I'd like to just introduce myself and then my co-host, uh, and then we'll start hearing more from our guest here today. My name is Vijay um, from the Netherlands. And I'm Walter from Belgium. Yes. And we have Georg. Um, Georg from Germany. Jörg. Awesome. Hey, Georg. Hey. Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. So, um, since this is um, a Rust podcast, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Rust. Um, can you give us some impression of your programming background and how did you end up in Rust? So, basically, how did your carcination process start? Yes. Um, <laughs> I've started programming back in school, so I've doing this quite a while yet. Yet um, I've started doing Rust in 2014, so before the 1.0 release. So yeah, it's quite a while since then. Back then I was a student, so a student you try out things, and Rust was cool, so why not Rust? Yeah, mm -hmm. then I've started, back then it was only an, an side project, so just some small thing to try it out and so on. Uh, I really started using Rust then uh, during my master thesis. Uh, there I've, I've built a database system to, to store geological three-dimensional models. And no. basically that's something that requires a language with high, high performance. So basically you can choose between C, C++, and Rust. And uh, because it was a master thesis, I said, why not choose Rust? Uh, it yeah. played out quite well. That thing is, is, uh, is in production now and is used by actual people in geological surveys. So yeah. It's working. Did you study geology then? Uh, no, I've studied uh, geoinformatics. So basically right. the middle ground between geo geology and informatics. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. So how does it differ from things like uh, post-GIS and, and, and other spatial databases? Basically, uh, postures... Uh, uh, focuses on two-dimensional data. And if you start doing three-dimensional stuff, uh, you start becoming uh, data that are a lot more complex and much bigger, basically. Mm. So yeah, I've run some benchmarks back then. And basically, Postgres spent quite some, a lot more time on doing stuff that just worked in my database. So Ooh, at that nice. point, it was just a research thesis. So yeah. And, and is it is it just a, because I'm assuming that when you say database, it, it requires a storage engine, query language, query engine optimization thing as well, right? Basically, the, 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 yeah, there is a storage part, mm -hmm. uh, which, which takes those models and uh, puts them somewhere to store them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the query language part is quite small because most things you are 
doing this those models is either get the whole model and uh, visualize it somewhere or mm -hmm. get a part of the model and uh, work on the model and upload an update for that for this area later so basically there are not that much operations that needs to be implemented but mm -hmm. those in those operations needs to be quite fast mm -hmm. as they yeah because there are quite a lot of data there yeah and is it um so the query language is similar to sql or basically uh, it's just a internal thing and mm -hmm. you have buttons there you can say okay select everything inside this area ah, okay it's nice. hidden from the user yeah yeah <laughs> nice and and so you used rust for this and and you said it was probably the proto rust or is it um, uh mature version of it uh that was after the 1.0 release so ah, okay i've started doing this thesis in 2016 mm -hmm. i think yeah. So is that something that led you into building diesel? Uh, basically, diesel exists back then. Mm -hmm. I've only the maintainer of diesel, not the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. original author. That was Sarge Griffin. Yeah. Uh, basically, back then, internally, my, my database works on putting some data in a real relational database mm -hmm. and the actual geologic data on the hard disk mm. and that means you need something to talk to the relational database and mm. back then the best option was diesel so mm. i've started using diesel and by doing this you notice there are missing things okay start implementing this and as part of this i've started improving diesel and yeah basically ended up being the maintainer <laughs> You took over diesel. <laughs> so you break it, you own it, basically. Uh, um, <laughs> so, I mean, given that you started so early with Rust, um, like maybe uh, you, it means you've also seen it evolve over time. Um, and I think especially in the pre-1.0 days, like there was, uh, I mean, there was, there was quite a bit of churn. So maybe you can talk a bit about that, how you've seen that evolution and uh, how? I've only tipped in my tools in the pre 1.0 days. So I've mm. built something small back then, it worked, and then I let it be for some time. And then there was already a 1.0 release. So I cannot say much oh, okay. about that time, only that there were breaking changes in the standard library and things changed. Yeah. yeah. Oh. After that, uh, I think the first maybe 10, 15 Rust releases, each release brought in quite big, large features. Mm. I remember uh, 1.15, I think, uh, where the Rive macros became stable. Mm. This was a huge thing for Diesel because, yeah, back then you need, needed to do all kind of crazy macro rule stuff to get something to generate code that was basically a bit crazy yeah 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 and yeah compared to back then things have slowed down quite a bit now yeah yeah i mean slowed down i think it's reaching the maturity sort of yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good point definitely yeah, yeah. 
I can imagine also that derived macros for diesel were uh, quite the quality of life improvement. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they've, they've exi existed before that point already, but uh, yeah, it was hard to build them. Hmm. You would require uh, either a nightly compiler or compiling large parts of the compiler to get the macro working. Oof. Or using some crazy macro rules based stuff to wrap, wrap around the struct yeah. with the derived macro on it, which then passes the derived macro, which then calls back in the correct uh, macro rules based macro. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure nothing ever went wrong with that approach. Uh, no, <laughs> never. 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 <laughs> I think it's it's a good idea to uh, hear from you um, what diesel is because I think we we are assuming that everybody knows diesel in the Rust community, but it'll be a good idea to paint a picture of what diesel is, what it is doing, and what it helps with. So basically, diesel is describing itself as a types of query builder and a ob objective uh, relational mapper, which mm -hmm. means it's basically a library uh, to interact with relational databases. It mm. makes it easy to build SQL queries and it makes it easy to map from and from Rust structures to tables and back uh, to Rust structures. So uh, it's notable that dieses design is a, quite a bit different to uh, what is normally considered to be an ORM in other languages. Mm -hmm. That's partly because Sarge back then uh, had some experience with maintaining and uh, yeah, basically maintaining active record, which is yeah, yeah, quite Ruby. a yeah. large ORM for Ruby. Mm -hmm. And yeah, basically everything here uh, they thought was wrong with active record influenced the design of diesel back then. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, what's basically one thing that's quite unique about diesel, uh, checks most of your queries at compile time. Basically, if you try to add a string and an integer in SQL, that will give you a runtime error if you execute this query. If you write those queries with dieses DSL, this query will be reacted by the compiler, mm -hmm. but the error message may be not that nice. <laughs> but that, that sounds like a bit of an out of trend in, in Rust. You know, error message is not giving you the <laughs> good information. <laughs> Sometimes it says some trait is not implemented, which is as good as it, as it can be at that point. Sometimes you basically get pages of uh, complex trait bounds saying, <laughs> okay, something doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. The information there, what does not work, is in there, but you need quite a bit of, of uh, experience to see what, what is wrong with your mm -hmm. query. Yeah. This is obviously quite common, right, with uh, heavily macro-driven systems because you're essentially like expending code at compile time that much that eventually you lose track of actually what the user has written. So uh, 
Um, yeah, in, in most cases, it's, it's quite a quite good mapping because we've named most types in such a way that that's quite obvious what they represent. But mm -hmm. yeah, if you represent a full SQL, SQL select statement as complex uh, generic type in Rust, that type will get quite large, <laughs> yeah. Quite, yeah. quite fast. Yeah. So sometimes we joked about we could write some some tool that post progress Rust these error messages to <laughs> spit out the real cause of this error. So basically, instead of saying, okay, there's this struct doesn't implement those trade with those large bounds, mm -hmm. uh, it could just say, okay, you missed the order of some field or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that would be a nice improvement. But either you build this as separate tool or you start in, start finding people saying, okay, that, that would be a worthwhile uh, improvement for the compiler itself. So we need some extension point to say, okay, if this, if, if an error occurs that says, okay, this trait is missing for some type, uh, mm -hmm. give us the error message and we can give the compiler back a better message. Yeah. That would yeah. be an idea there. And, and how does it? map to the Rust types? Because I'm assuming that if, um, because you said it's going to map the tables and the columns and the data types in SQL to, to Rust types, right? So is there like one-to-one -one mapping, like whatever the worker is going to be is going to be string? No? Okay. Basically, uh, what Diesel does is uh, it takes your database, mm -hmm. uh, reads the schema of the database and generates a Rust representation of this schema. This okay. is done by a macro, macro rule based macro called table. Mm -hmm. Basically, each table in the database is represented by a Rust type structure where each table is its own zero size type in mm -hmm. each column. Then each column implements some trait to link back to the table. Mm -hmm. Each table implements some other trait to say, okay, I have this list of columns. Mm -hmm. And then there's a generic query builder, which allows you to, for example, construct a select statement where you just say, okay, take this table using some of these, those zero size structs, mm -hmm. uh, select those fields, apply those where clause, add some join and, and so on. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, then you get some generic large type, which contains those select statements. Okay. And after that, um, each, each part of those query has, has a, we, we, we have a trait which, uh, says, okay, this part of the query asked has the following type on SQL side. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. types can then be used, uh, to restrict via a where clause, uh, mm -hmm. which combinations are valid and which are not. So yep. basically, if you try to compare an integer and a string, that doesn't make much sense. So we reject that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, after that, the query gets executed and 
Then there's a mapping from the query result to a Rust struct. The yeah. important yeah. point here is it's a mapping from the query result and not from the table. So mm. if you're doing complex joins, that's totally fine. The oh, only point okay. that's requiring some work is joining the same table twice. Yeah, yeah. But how does it handle things like casting then? Because in SQL, I can say, take a string and then cast it into a date and then compare with the date, for example. So are these kind of things are supported as well? Yeah, basically you're writing some query as node, which says, okay, that's a cast from a string mm -hmm. to a something else. Yeah. And uh, this just changes the type of this expression. There. Ah, okay, nice. And And how do you... How does it do all the connections to different databases? So the diesel does the wire protocol itself? Uh, currently, diesel supports uh, PostgreSQL, mm -hmm. uh, MySQL, and SQLite okay. uh, as database connection in, inside of diesel itself. Mm -hmm. uh, for PostgreSQL, we are using libp2, mm -hmm. so the official C library for mm -hmm. MySQL. Uh, libmySQL client, which is also the official C library. And for SQLite, you need to link SQLite into your application. So you need to use the SQL library. Okay. So that said, it's definitely possible to implement uh, custom connections outside of Diesel because connection itself is also only a trade with some complex bounds on it. So you can just, for example, uh, use the existing code for PostgreSQL. Mm -hmm. uh, I should probably add, uh, Diesel has a distinction between the database itself and the connection to the database. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can handle stuff like, uh, okay, we are connecting to PostgreSQL, but we are using a different connection than the Diesel-provided connection. So someone could take this work and say, okay, I'm just implementing the connection trait in the right way to connect to a Postgres database using a bus driver. Mm. Maybe we will do that in some future version, but yes, it's requiring some work to implement this protocol, yes. Okay, but if you, if you have support for Postgres, for example, that would also mean that you have this JSON data support as well? JSON column type and everything, and that will translate it into proper structs or Rust types. Um, no, mm. uh, there's currently only a built-in supported mapping to this value type. Yeah, uh, because uh, due to the, to the orphan rule, we cannot uh, just implement it for all types that generically implement this lies. Yeah, but uh, it's possible that a third-party code implements that for a specific type. So you can just use your type and say, okay, I know it implements this uh, structure, and yeah. No, oh, okay. So you can you can plug in your types to say this is what interpret the data with this type. I should probably add at this point that I've already. Um, uh, touch this a bit with the connection thing, mm -hmm. but uh, most parts of Diesel are quite uh, extensible to third parties. Mm -hmm. So you can just use the, the basic 
definition in diesel itself and say, okay, there's some missing operation type, whatever. I will implement that in another grade and publish that or use that in my code. And it's totally fine. Hmm. It's for example, uh, for example, uh, SQL functions are something that you can define for your own usage in almost all database systems. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, Diesel provides a macro, which just takes the definition, uh, the, the headline of a bus function, uh, and you can easily define your the mapping for your own SQL function there uh, if you write, write those single lines. And mm -hmm. then it just works as it were defined in Diesel. In fact, we define those functions in Diesel using the same macros. Yeah. You said you're using the C libraries, right? The C. Um, uh, so, can you talk about the um, how easy it is, or what were the pain points, if any, using all the C stuff in Rust? Because they're 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 kind of like a bit of a different philosophy in <laughs> in C and Rust, right? Yeah, uh, it's definitely something that is not that easy. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you need to think about how to link stuff, which is something you normally don't need to do if you write Rust. So it's a quite common problem for people starting Diesel. Uh, there's a linker error. How did this happen? Is this, this library broken or what <laughs> does this mean? So yeah, after they figure out how to install the required dependency, it just works. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you're writing code using those C libraries, yeah, you need to know some C to understand how those libraries work. So basically, yeah, and you need to be fine to write some unsafe code with <laughs> yeah. pointer stuff and so on. And, and for both... Um... SQL server, so not SQL server, sorry, MySQL and Postgres use the C things, C libraries, but there are no Rust uh, drivers for them yet, right? Or uh, There are Rust drivers for them yet, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, back then, as this started, those drivers didn't exist. So yeah. basically, we started with those things that existed back in those early days. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Basically, we stick with them till now because, yeah, on the, the, the one hand, it just works mm -hmm. and it, it's quite a bit of work to replace those drivers. And uh, on the other hand, uh, at least till last year or so, the performance of the fast implementations were not on par with the C implementations yet. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts to change now and, uh, it should be possible to implement a driver with the same performance level. But yeah. yeah, it's basically at the point where someone needs to start doing this. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the same situation for every problem. Somebody needs to solve this problem. <laughs> basically, it's solved. You only yeah, need yeah, to yeah, implement yeah. this one trait. Ah, okay. Okay, if it you, has you see... 10 methods or so. And yeah. quite <laughs> complex trade bounds, but just, that's quote unquote just implemented. 
so how do you um like wh- why would somebody use diesel because obviously people who are using rust you know they they want to use you know um uh, diesel i understand um but what would be the primary motivation is it the um, the static type checkingness or the of the queries is it um, flexibility of bringing the data into your structs basically i think uh, it depends from where you're coming if you're mm-hmm. using rust and need to talk with a database yeah then there are not that many options to do that mm-hmm. there's diesel there are the pure rust parts for each database and there's sqlx mm-hmm. from those diesel is um, at least according to my last measurements one of the most performant uh solutions so mm-hmm. yeah performance is one important thing mm-hmm. and uh also diesel provides in my opinion uh the the uh, largest guarantees around compile time checking there mm-hmm. so as long as you're writing your query using the query asked uh there's almost no way to uh cause some runtime error so if your sql code compiles all will be fine yeah what what is the the performance of the sql queries like um because orms tend to uh in, sometimes or introduce some overhead there where it will write or emit queries that are not I mean, that are not ideal to put it mildly yeah <laughs> that's the point that these seems to be a seems to be a bit different to uh, classical orms basically Diesel does not uh, submit any query that you haven't written. So basically, mm-hmm. you as a developer use the uh, provided DSL to construct your query. And then exactly that query is executed. Mm-hmm. Nothing more and nothing less. So, yeah. I think the ORM... Uh thing that we are used to has a different kind of connotation right i mean that maybe that's a, like a marketing <laughs> thing that we need to do basically uh, the 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 orms i know i i have known before these did a one to one mapping between tables and structs yeah and these that's basically a mapping between queries and structs okay and a query can touch one table more than one table Yeah. no table whatever yeah it's not a real orm in that sense then because i think because i think i'm i'm used to java a little bit as well we have this hibernate and it's yeah as as what was saying <laughs> it, it it usually generates like a suboptimal crap and there is session cache and it tries to do many things lazy loading and all that stuff so would you compare this more to something like link uh I haven't used that but yeah. I think that should be a, a good comparison. Yeah, yeah. It sounds to me like it's more like link than hibernate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which gives you like a really nice DSL to but it still maps very closely to the underlying SQL, right? So you can clearly mm. see your query in the DSL, but you get some additional guarantees. Uh, so yeah, that's nice. Basically that's the idea. Um it sounds to me also that you spend quite a bit of time um um benchmarking the performance of diesel. Um 
which is not always uh, straightforward either. Um, are you doing anything special there or do you have a specific setup or runbook that you do? Or Those benchmarks are published in the diesel repository. I've hmm. just written them maybe a year back or so, uh, just out of interest, how, how does diesel perform in comparison to other libraries? Because it, yeah, if you want to use this, maybe it's a good idea to just write something down and say, okay, I just take the, take the documentation for each library. Okay, these I know a bit better. Uh, write those benchmarks and then, yeah, have at least some numbers. Maybe they are not optimal. Maybe they are. Yeah, it's just a starting point to have something. If Samsung... Uh, basically, uh, my idea there is if some, someone states, oh, those benchmarks are not correct, okay, there are the benchmarks, there's the code, improve it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so, and do you, does, does the benchmark suite runs on each commit or, or how often? Uh... Um, I've, I think I've configured this uh, currently to run daily. Just daily, yeah. But it's it's only benchmarking diesel, right? Or or is it running other libraries as well? It's benchmarking diesel, SQLX, mm -hmm. uh, the Rust Postgres driver, oh, and okay. the Rust My MySQL driver, and uh, uh, the Rust uh, SQLite driver. Hmm. So all the all the stuff that you're using C for currently versus pure Rust. At uh, the pure Rust drivers. Okay. For the other ones yeah 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 so so diesel is also used with rocket right or is it something pluggable in in rocket it's basically a library you can use with rocket they okay. provide support for diesel mm -hmm. uh, with some of their extension modules mm -hmm. uh, but uh, basically that's something built on top of diesel mm. there's not that much interaction between those two projects. Basically, okay. they just use the library, build stuff on top of it, and yeah, sometimes submitted a pull request to update some dependencies or so. Yeah, yeah. Which is nice. obviously something great. So. Yeah, yeah. Because you said the connection object is is a uh, what do you call that? Like kind of a first class thing, like a separate thing in in Diesel, right? Like it's a it's a different thing um, because I know that, or at least from my experience, um, you try to configure connection pools when to to scale up the connectivity to the database. So is there something there in Diesel or is it the reason why connection can be a separate thing? Um, basically, Diesel only provides the connection itself. Mm -hmm. The connection pools are provided by other clients in the ecosystem. There's, for example, R2-D2, R2-D2, D2, mm -hmm. uh, for, for a synchronous connection pool, and uh, that pool and uh, other grids like this for asynchronous connections. So there is a different grid that you'll use for connection pooling and then use that in tandem with diesel to... Okay. They tend to be extensible in terms of 
which connection they use. So yeah, yeah. Basically, it's just separated. One implements the connection pool, and the other one provides the connection. And yeah. Hmm. So maybe just to step back a little uh, away from diesel first, and uh, obviously it's a strange name, um, <laughs> and you're the maintainer. <laughs> I cannot tell you where the name comes from. <laughs> it was already there back then when I started working. On yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering because it's like a strange name. Maybe database diesel, I guess. I don't know, D, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but you, your your interest in in Rust, um, and uh, as Walter was mentioning as well, like your view on the on the language and where it is going, and then um, how it is being used, and what features that you think are kind of USPs, like unique selling points for Rust. It's quite hard to answer. <laughs> this depends. We on have time. We have time. Using Rust, so. Basically, uh, yeah, the obvious points are memory safety, performance, and so on. Mm. Uh, other than that, uh, I think uh, most of the at least high-level parts in the ecosystem are quite have a quite good quality, mm. are documented in a quite good way, and uh, there's normally uh, some kind of community behind those plates, so you can just take them, use them. And if there's a problem, you find some someone that can help you and answers questions or accept a pull request to fix a problem and so on. Um, that basically, if I go to one of the larger Rust crates and submit a pull request there, I I expect that I get an an answer back. Uh, if this is accepted and what needs to be changed mm. in a week or something like that. If yeah. I do this somewhere else, yeah, maybe someone is interested, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the community wise, I think it's um, pretty active in terms of helping each other. I think that that makes sense. So from, from me itself, basically, uh, the reason why I'm using Rust is. I've continued to work uh, in an area where there's basically building databases, uh, where there's no other option than using C, using C++, or using Rust if you want to write performance code mm. and handling large amounts of data. Yeah. So you are using Rust in your uh, day job as well then now? Uh, yeah, basically Day job means for me, uh, I'm currently a PhD student, so doing research. And yeah, okay. my PhD thesis uh, is about uh, how to reproduce uh, the construction of a theological model. So basically, when you think about things like a nuclear waste deposit site, uh, someone needs to decide where to put this stuff. Mm -hmm. and Basically, those decisions are made based on models. And if you make such a decision, you really want to be sure that this model is valid and not just some uh, wired artifact of some software and so yeah. on. Yeah. And for this, you need to uh, understand which steps are done, how to build this model, and you need to be able to repeat 
those building. And in the optimal case, the if you repeat the building, the same model should fall out. But that's yeah. yeah. yeah that is something that sounds easy, but yeah, in practice, <laughs> you're basically the same if you try to build software on two different uh, computers. And um, <laughs> yeah, the binary won't be the same. Yeah, yeah. So for for the for this modeling, I'm sorry, this this kind of interests me because it's uh, close to a field I used to work in in the past as well. So sort of what what kind of modeling techniques are used to solve this problem? Um, um, basically, uh, my work more concentrates on uh, creating something to describe an arbitrary model uh, process. So you can describe how you builded your model. So it's not that much about the concrete method used to build a model, but having a framework around it to describe, okay, I've done this step and then that step with this software, and then I've used, uh, uh, for example, uh, Argus, which is a quite common uh, this software, mm -hmm. and then there are some steps and so on. Basically, so it's so what you're doing is closer to uh, formal verification, right? So you're essentially more trying to describe the thing and then make some assertions about it, or uh, it's it no, uh, it's basically uh, yeah. If you're looking in software de development, you would basically call this kind of software I'm building. It's a CI server. It's basically mm. taking okay. a des description of the modeling workflow, which can be quite complex and mm. use different software. And you put data into it. And after this, somewhere the model comes out. Right, right, right. right. After a number of complex steps that can have whatever connections to, to each other. And, and essentially trying to make that reproducible. Yeah, okay, okay. basically that's the idea. Okay. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with like inherently inherently random steps? Because, um, for example, uh, like something we used to do in in the past um, would use uh, like semi random walking algorithms to sort of find an optimal in a space that you know. Would then describe that's the... quite common such things. I know. Uh, <laughs> basically, it depends on how you define what is reproducible and connected with that. When our two models are equal, hmm. so if if you define equality in terms of device needs to be the same, those methods aren't reproducible. We don't need to discuss about this. Hmm. If you use some some sort of uh, mathematical distance between the models, you're just saying, okay, the distance should be smaller than 15, mm -hmm. and then those models are equal, then everything is fine. Okay. So they they need to be, yeah, okay. Essentially, you're, uh, you're 
indeed you're playing with the definition of equality you're kind of saying uh and everything below this distance or this uh this cost for, uh, that has a cost smaller than x we're going to treat as equal or zero right okay cool it's also the main idea there is basically it depends on your model if it's mm -hmm. equal or not it's only something the person can tell you that has the model yeah nice but do you use rust for this developing this these models yeah, and model verification stuff okay interesting basically building the software to run everything yeah yeah wrap around those steps that's written in rust okay and and so it's, it it sounds like for my layman understanding it sounds like testing different things um so how do you coming back to diesel like how is diesel tested like how, how do you test that one is it on a do you connect to real postgres or how are the tests suit on on diesel built basically there's quite diesel has quite a few of tests there are the block tests for mm -hmm. each for almost all methods that is exposed via a public api mm -hmm. there are some mm -hmm. internal tests in diesel itself and there's a quite large test suite uh, in another grade, uh, which is just there to check if all those methods are actually usable for a third-party grade. Mm. And um, especially the, the test suite in the, the separate grade uh, contains quite a lot of cases which are written, okay, I assume uh, this method does this, then write the test case, then write the code that should, should implement the necessary methods in diesel and then check if those methods work. Mm -hmm. And basically all of this is executed uh, against all three uh, databases we support. And for at least uh, the current stable Rust version, mm -hmm. the beta version and the current nightly. Okay. So like a build matrix that is gonna run this across all the all the versions as well. It's taking one hour or so to execute <laughs> all of this. Yeah. But this seems to be a kind of a theme in Rust community as well, right? The compilation time and then CI times and all that stuff. So how is the compilation time on Diesel? Uh it depends. <laughs> if if I'm compiling on Raspberry Pi. <laughs> no, 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 no. Diesel these itself has feature flags that yeah, allows yeah. you to control the co compilation time. Mm. From, okay, it takes just one minute or so. So, okay. Okay. yeah, go and grab your coffee and come back uh, maybe in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can decide the compilation time. <laughs> Basically, the, the issue there is uh, Diesel internally implements a lot of trades for tubes. Mm -hmm. And to implement trades for tubes in Rust, you need to implement the trade for each tube size you want to support. Okay. And if you support tubes of larger size, the compilation time will increase. So yeah. that's yeah, it's quite so straightforward. There's an option to support tuple sizes up to 128. So yeah, Ooh, wow. that takes wow. some time. And <laughs> the compiler tests are not that happy about that. Yeah. It's a, 
I've, I've seen like that uh, that tuple issue in other uh, projects as well. At some point, I was trying to fix something in Sled. To be honest, I could say a year ago, I don't remember the actual details, but it ended up being this uh, tuple thing as well. I needed a tuple size larger than what they had. Uh, and so you, you also end up copy-pasting a lot of code, actually, uh, that way. They, they basically de-implements this stuff by having an internal macro, yeah. which yeah. just calls everything for all tuple sizes. Mm. But yeah. yeah, basically, the, the macro itself just stress tests the macro expansion in the compiler. And yeah, there, mm -hmm. if, if I remember back some, some months, years, uh, there were quite a few yeah, performance regressions and so on. Uh, where someone made some tiny change in the compiler, and after that, pieces of combination time doubled or something like that. Oof. Nice. Or they changed something in the type resolution, uh, how trade bounds are resolved. Okay, diesel won't compile anymore, <laughs> and so on. <laughs> but that, that's why you have the CI for all the nightly stuff as well, to, to keep catching all kind of things. But uh, at some point, I got quite quite frustrated about this and started uh, adding diesel itself to the uh, test suite of the compiler. After that, <laughs> had, hadn't, hadn't, it didn't happen anymore. <laughs> I don't know if there's a connection. <laughs> did, did the PRs from the from the core team increase or or not? <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I, from from the community perspective, like how 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 active is the community in these? So, obviously, you're you're maintaining it, but are there a few other core maintainers that that you collaborate uh, with? Uh, officially, there are other core maintainers, but uh, currently, I'm basically the only one working on as a core maintainer on these. There are a few other contributors who regularly contribute some code, and there are quite some uh, one-off pull requests, I like to call them, from people seeing some problem and just submitting a fix, mostly documentation and so on. Mm. But that's, that's for these an important point to keep the documentation up because maybe, yeah, I've... I've working on diesel now quite some time. So yeah, seeing the issues that come up if you, someone starts with uh, using diesel is not something that's easy for me anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. just, yeah, obviously you need to use this method because yeah, I know this is there. Yeah. So yeah, but other than that, uh, yeah. It would obviously be great to have more people working on diesel, but yeah, the code base is quite complex and generic. So yeah, it, I assume the, the barrier to start working on diesel is quite high. But on the other hand, uh, if I look back to the days where I've started working on diesel, basically this was the time where I've learned fast. So, I've started contributing something and I remember back then most of my PRs were, yeah, nice idea, but I'll change almost all of this to that one. And then okay. nice ex ex explanation 
why the other solution would be better. And yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with that, I've learned quite a lot. And yeah, basically, uh, we, are, we are always looking for people contributing code or mm. just reviewing code. And basically, I've seen this as opportunity for someone learning fast or, or one, wanting to increase the knowledge in certain areas of us, like complex generics or complex macros and so on, uh, as a point where they are, can ask questions, oh, hey, that uh, real-world codebase, how does this even work? Because I've never seen a construct like this before yeah. and so on. So it, it is not quite beginner-friendly, but you think that it's going to help a lot in um, understanding complex Rust code and then learning new concepts pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say it depends on where you started, start working on these. If, mm. if, if your goal is, as a beginner, to implement a complex new feature, that won't work. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah, start yeah. with adding some small feature to, to the CLI tool or improving the documentation, mm. that would be something that's totally fine and mm. should easily work because yeah, you only need to look. Basically, the CLI tool is nothing really complex. It's just some small tool which yeah. is doing yeah, nothing but what what would be considered complex somewhere else so yeah and yeah. documentation is basically just looking at, at stuff saying okay i didn't understand this at the first point then after this someone explained me uh, it needs to be done that way okay let's add this to the documentation there mm. yeah makes sense also i think the when when learning a new language, um, apart from understanding the syntax and then the the, the construct that you need to use and the idiomatic usage, um, there is also like the development environment, right? The tools and that you use. So, what what is your setup look like? So, what kind of plugins do you use? What kind of editors do you use? Basically, uh, yeah. I'm using Emacs. And, oh, uh, nice. We have a winner. Fast, <laughs> fast analyzer uh, as language server, and that's it. And Ooh. yeah, obviously something like Git and fast format. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, the compiler. I'm super excited when you said Emacs because I think a couple of people that I know always think that I'm kind of an Emacs zealot, you know. So. <laughs> VJ nice. would make coffee with Emacs if he could. So. <laughs> and Emacs are on my life. Yeah. You know, and even podcast in Emacs. Why not? <laughs> so, but you, uh, so you're using the, the LSP um, integration into Emacs then? Yeah. I think hmm. I tried it a while ago and it, it yeah, it wasn't very uh, stable at the time. So I gave up, but I should definitely uh, try it again then. That's the point where I should probably add that, yeah, <laughs> I'm using Rust quite some time, so the experience changed a lot uh, in mm. the last few years. Uh, in the beginning, there was basically no support for anything. So 
jo være happy if det kom, uh, if det det var det white syntax highlighting and did not use some version from before 1.0. Yeah, and yeah. after that, there was, I think the tool was called Razor, which yeah, was yeah. basically uh, some kind of uh, rudimentary uh, completion tool. Mm-hmm. And after this, the, the first language server came, which found some good completion, but uh, yeah, it basically burned CPU time. And uh, yeah, I think it's it was last year when Fast Analyzer appeared and uh, I'm I'm quite happy how fast the, uh, it actually become useful and uh, it's working quite good now. Yeah. 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 I think Rust Analyzer has a lot of uh, traction, right? I think mean, they're releasing new versions every now and then and updating it really fast. I think that, that, that plugs into every editor that you're using makes your life easier. Jesus. Basically, uh, like uh, it, it's a quite hard case for the compiler. It's also a quite hard case for those completion analyzer, tools. Analyzer. So yeah, yeah, first analyzer. <laughs> yeah, basically, if I come there and say, okay, there's this issue and diesel, yeah. So you're you're testing those tools as well with diesel code. Yeah, <laughs> I basically use it to work on diesel. So I expect it to work. For me and yeah basically that means it needs to work for all people yeah uh, yeah uh, i remember maybe yeah it was some somewhere starting this year i think mm-hmm. uh, they've changed the algorithm to uh, uh, expand backwards basically this algorithm break with diesel because uh, uh, of the large backward that expanded to do this yeah uh, before that, uh, it it was nearly instant on diesel. After this change, uh, yeah, you uh, need to wait a minute for a completion or something like this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've reported this. They fixed it quite, quite, quite quickly. Mm. And I think also they have uh, uh, diesel now in their test suite. So yeah, <laughs> I was actually going to say that like three months from now, diesel is going to be in the Rust Analyzer test suite, but it already is. So, <laughs> so every every Rust project will have diesel as a dependency, and then diesel tests are going to be in their CI. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it saves the time to report the issues. That's true. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Also, probably makes you one of the most uh, well-tested code bases in the ecosystem, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Solid diesel engine. Now we <laughs> nice. know where the name comes from. Exactly. <laughs> so many tests. So um, we are almost one hour, and I was just wondering, um, you you have other projects as well. Like one of the things that you're building is the GraphQL thing, right? The Wonder Graph thing. Can, can you give us some idea about what, what that project is and what state it is in? Basically, uh, it's I, I would call it an experiment. Mm-hmm. I needed something for my PhD to expose an API. So I think, so yeah, let's try out, out GraphQL. And yeah, basically, uh, there's the Uniper grid, 
which provides a general way to build GraphQL APIs in Diesel. Mm -hmm. But uh, back then, when I started working on this problem, uh, it part had the problem that uh, it basically uh, puts the user uh, into a position where it uh, would write uh, n plus 1 queries to load a complex uh, hierarchy of tables from the database. Mm -hmm. And I've looked at this and said, yeah, there must be a better solution to this to patch up the queries. And uh, basically, I've started working on this and built uh, some something on top of Diesel, which integrates with Uniper, which does the mapping, un uh, the patching under the hood. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's basically uh, some kind of crate where you can point to an existing database and it spits out all the required definitions. And yeah, you have a working uh, API database and can construct quite complex filters and set an ordering and insert new data and so on. Nice. But I would say it's a prototype because, mm. yeah, yeah, I'm missing quite a bit of time working on that to get <laughs> this somewhere where it would be really useful. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine you, you're you dealing with diesel and you're a full-time PhD thing and then you need to figure out timing for other things as well. Are, are there any other projects that you want to highlight um, in your open source portfolio? No. Okay, it's, it's primarily diesel right now. <laughs> I think uh, the important project right now is diesel. Wondercraft is a quite uh, interesting idea, but yeah, it would need some time or a maintainer that has time to work on it to yeah, yeah, make yeah, this yeah. into something really usable for other people. Nice. So I have two questions to conclude this episode, I would say. Uh, one is, what are your plans for diesel? Like, you know, if people want to contribute to diesel and what is the roadmap? Is there something that you're planning ahead? Something that is a low-hanging fruit? Basically, uh, for diesel, uh, we're working for quite some time now on a 2.0 release, mm -hmm. uh, which will bring uh, support for compile time check group bike clauses. So mm -hmm. basically, uh, that allows you uh, to check uh, if only either uh, uh, aggregate uh, expressions or columns or expressions appearing in a group by clause appears in the select clause mm -hmm. and so on. And yeah, it does change a whole lot of other stuff as well. Basically, everything but what could be considered as a breaking change and uh, improvement. Uh, we've found along the way is put in there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hopefully uh, will be finished someday this year. Yeah. It's quite hard. <laughs> that's, that's a long roadmap. Because it's, uh, um, yeah, as an open source project, you always need to find time to work on stuff. So yeah, yeah it's quite hard to tell when it's finished. So, yeah, basically, there are a few other changes I want to make there as well. Uh, for example, the change I'm currently working on uh, is to 
return a iterator from the load method instead of just returning a vector. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Again, this requires some trade matrix and uh, some crazy trade bounds and so on to make this work. Yeah, after that, there are some minor things I want to improve to better allow third-party grades to implement support for other database systems as well. Yeah, yeah. And after that, I'm I'm hoping that we can release that as 2.0 release. Nice. Uh, yeah. Other than that, uh, after this, we probably uh, focus on providing support for uh, aliasing. Uh, so being able to join a table more than once and so on. Mm -hmm. okay. Maybe looking into uh, implementing a pure Fast driver for PostgreSQL and MySQL, yeah. or using the existing ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. But that's something that also maybe can be done in a third-party grade, so it's mm. not blocked on diesel itself. Okay, so um, I think my final question. I think I don't know if Walter, you have any other things before. So, so much pressure. I didn't really have one yet, <laughs> but now I have to. So <laughs> let, let me think. So. Yes, you have to. Uh, meanwhile, I, I can ask my question. So because you used Rust for building your own 3D geospatial database and then diesel and a lot of experimentation, are there any things that you feel like Rust is lacking or you are limited by, oh, this this could be an improvement in Rust? Uh, at least for diesel, there are quite few things where mm. I say it would be a nice improvement. I've already raised the point with the tube sizes yeah. that yeah. could be fixed if someone introduces a variadic generics there. Mm -hmm. So okay. you can just say, okay, implement this for all tube sizes. Then it's only one impl and uh, the compiler will maybe be much faster with this. Because if I currently look at the, the the output of the compiler where it spends time, it's parsing and macro expansion and such things, and not compiling stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there are a few other things that would be nice to have. Uh, for example, if you're implementing a third-party backend, you are, need some way to override the default. Uh, uh, Translation between query ask and query string mm -hmm. uh, in such a way uh, uh, in generic code without hitting the conflicting imp implementations issues so or some kind of special spe spe uh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> specialization yes, would be yes. nice to have and yeah basically uh, the other thing. Some people want this to do uh, is providing an asynchronous interface. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have looked into this. And basically, uh, also, this is uh, kind of blocked on language issues uh, because, uh, yeah, this provides some method to uh, execute something into a transaction. And 
yeah, there are a few ways to model an API that could actually work there. One is uh, to take a callback and basically call this callback inside the transaction and mm -hmm. the user can just write the code into the callback. And the other one is to uh, have some kind of trap guard uh, which is returned and uh, which will roll back the connection as if it's dropped. Mm. If the user didn't call explicitly commit somewhere. Yeah, so yeah. both approaches work fine in the synchronous world, but uh, for async was uh, none of them works. Uh, okay. The prop guard has the problem, okay, how do you call an async method in prop? Mm. That's mm. something that, yeah, basically you have only the option to block there. Yeah. And the callback-based uh, approach has the problem that there are, basically, we are not able to uh, write down the required lifetime requirements in some way that the fast compiler understands and accepts without running in, into bugs. Yeah. 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 That's, let me just check my notes because I've, <laughs> I've, I've written down a few things as limitations. <laughs> yeah, basically that's... I didn't know that there was a lot of preparation went into. <laughs> no, not that much preparation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's one minor thing which would be nice to improve. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, yeah, sometimes uh, error messages emitted by your host C uh, point to types that are private in Diesel. So mm. basically, it tells the user, use this type for the return type of this function. But yeah, the user yeah. cannot name this type because this type is not exported. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are other types, better type this, which mm -hmm. can be used to name this type. But the compiler points to the private one, which is for newcomers at least confusing. But is it this something that can be fixed in the compiler itself? Like compiler making aware of uh, which ones are exported? Basically, that's a compiler issue. Not a okay, language yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. So apart from that, I think Rust is super helpful in terms of whatever that you uh, that you want to build. <laughs> Just a minor complaints. Yeah, the generic thing. Yeah, that's probably like a really big change. Quite something that is larger. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Nice. So, any other um, final thoughts? No? No. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, Georg, uh, thanks a lot for, for joining us. And I think people can sponsor you on GitHub sponsors, right? Uh, on Diesel. Um, and I think Diesel is probably one of the most fundamental library for Rust ecosystem because, you know, everybody wants to talk to database. Um, did you have some numbers like how many people are using diesel? It's hard downloads to tell. Downloads, yeah. Uh, downloads, I need to look at the yeah. The crates, uh, you know, uh, it's list listed at crates.io. Yeah. Uh, if we talk about crates.io, and uh, this is fundamental to the Rust ecosystem, yeah. because what is used to uh, implement yeah. crates.io. Crates yeah, it's diesel. diesel. There. Yeah. Uh, diesel. yeah, yeah. So there is at least one one counter there. 
Fates.io uh, states that uh, 100,000 uh, downloads per month. Wow. For Lisa. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just pretty awesome, actually. So I think, um, you know, people should go and check out your uh, GitHub page and sponsor you on this uh, great work that you're doing. And also making sure that Diesel's test suits are part of every other project as well. <laughs> Contributions and uh, improvements to the documentation are also something that yes, are yes. always welcome. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, you're yeah. unsure about how to do that, just come to our Gitter room or uh, the discussion part of the Diesel repo and just ask the question there and we will try to help you. So. Perfect. Yeah. So if anybody wants to learn complex Rust, they can start with Diesel and then um, you know get your help there on Gitter or GitHub repos and everything. Nice. Anywho, I think that uh, that will conclude our discussion for today. And again, thanks a lot, Georg, for taking time and uh, you know sharing your thoughts on Diesel. And um, hopefully, more and more people will contribute, and you will start building more database stuff soon. <laughs> and, and test suites, don't forget and, the test suites. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the metric of success. How many other projects use you to stress test their system? <laughs> nice. Okay, thank you. Thanks a lot. This was amazing. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the time to talk about these and my other projects. Of course, of course. It was our pleasure. (laughs)